0: Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 18. This man, whose testimony you just heard, had a defining moment in his life, and it was a very difficult one, and that was a revelation from God that he needed to forgive someone that was really, in a sense, in a human sense, really unforgivable. A defining moment. Bill, wife, left him. Deidre's father molested her, and then Dan's business was swindled away from him, by his best friend. And when you talk to someone, someone just says to you, well, you just need to let that go. But that's easier said than done, because really forgiveness is not natural to us. We don't. We want, we want somebody to bleed a little bit. We want someone to suffer. It's unnatural for us just to simply say to someone, you're forgiven. Or in, even in our heart, don't think about them in an adverse type of situation anymore but yet Jesus commanded us to forgive based upon His forgiveness of us. When Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says His blood was shed for us on the cross, and He gave His life, and and certainly we've offended Him in so many ways. And He says, as I have forgiven you, you you forgive other people, but yet that's difficult to do. Very, very difficult when something's been done to you to take to sort of suck the life, part of the life out of you. But yet Jesus, as he hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, when we're talking about this chapter, about really relationships, about compassion in Matthew chapter 18. We said, we really started off by saying when there's a hundred sheep in the fold, and when one of them goes another direction, goes astray, you who are the spiritual ones, go out and get him. Don't don't let him go. Go out and get him. Then we look at Matthew chapter eighteen, beginning verse fifteen last week, and we saw how to do that, how to reconcile one with another. Relationships are dependent upon forgiveness. You know, you've heard the saying before: marriage is um, a a product of two awfully good forgivers. And when I counsel people, I would counsel them in premarital counseling: make sure your potential spouse is a forgiver, because if not, your whole relationship is going to be in trouble right off the bat, because none of us have gone through life without being offended. None of you, including me, have gone through life, can go through life, without being hurt in some way. But what does it mean to really forgive? Does that mean that I go and trust the person all over again? Does that mean that I'm automatically going to be reconciled to them? Well, according to Matthew uh, 18, 15, no, because sometimes they just can't, they won't be reconciled. And so what about that? Well, forgiveness, as I said, is necessary to relationships. And as we open this par- uh, passage, we see that Peter asks a question on how limited is forgiveness. And that's what the whole parable is about in just a few moments as we look at that. Peter is asking the question, how far do I have to go with this stuff? this forgiveness stuff. And all of us want to know that question. What is it? Why should I do it? And how should I get it done? How can I get it done? We look at those three things as we look at this passage this morning. First of all, what is forgiveness? Look in verse 21 as we start the reading of the scripture. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often, what's the limit Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Key word to the whole passage, forgive. As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 70 of sevens or 70 times seven, that's 490 times. But Jesus is not saying here that we ought to forgive our neighbor or someone has offended us 490 times. It just simply means Limitless, And it's based upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. Since Jesus forgave us, then we ought to forgive other people. But again, what is that really all about? This key word in this passage, forgive, means to let it go. That's what it means. It means to send it away, to let it go. Now, there's a passage in the Bible, a verse in the Bible that says that when God forgives us, He takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. He sends them away. They're gone. And the east and the west, of course, never meet. And so when we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about sending something away. What are we talking about sending something away? We're talking about sending debt away. You see, when you and I sin against God, we create a deficit in God's economy. And we, there's nothing we can do to, to pay for that. Once we sin one time, we drop, drop below the line of perfection, and there's nothing really we can do to make up for that. And so we, we create this debt. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, forgive us of our debts as we forgive others their debts because we create a debt. For example, someone sins against you. Someone does you wrong. Somebody offends you in some way. They've offended you, and so they owe you something. You heard that before, right? You owe me. He owes me something. And that's what we're saying. We're saying there's a debt there that ha- has been created and and we don't really want to pay that debt. And we, deep down, we don't want them to pay it. We want them, you know, I had somebody tell me this one time. I said, you know, you really need to forgive that person. And they said, they hadn't bled enough. They hadn't bled enough yet. You know, like the old story about the guy going to the doctor and uh, said, Doctor, what's wrong with He said, You have rabies and it's incurable, you're going to die. And so he pulls out his pad and his pen and begins to write. And the guy says, what? The doctor says, what? Are you writing out your last will and testament? He says, no, I'm writing down a list of all the people I'm going to bite. And so, yeah, you can laugh at that. We can laugh in church. Some of you are guests today. We, we can do that. Um, in fact, let's try that again. I'm going to write down the <laughs> names of the people I'm going to bite. <laughs> that's a little bit better. Um, and so, that's it. We, we want people to pay. They haven't bled enough. They haven't paid really enough. Forgiveness, according to Charles Stanley, good definition here, forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from a debt they could never pay. Now, we'll come back to this in just a few moments. But that's what forgiveness is all about. It's, it's paying the debt. If somebody borrows, for example, and I just use money as an example. It's not about money. Passage not about money at all. Just as an example, because I think we can understand this. Somebody buys borrows $5,000 from you, and they invest it into their business, and they lose the business. And they come back to you and say, I can't pay, I can't pay it. I can't pay the interest. I can't even pay the loan. I don't have $5, much less $5,000. And you take pity upon the guy. I mean, he lost his business. Hey, just forget about the debt. Just forget about it. Now, what happens to that debt? Well, it just goes into thin air, right? I mean, it's just gone. It's gone forever. No, you pay the debt. You pay it. There's five, you're out $5,000 plus interest. So what do you have to do? You've got to pay the debt. Now, somebody may steal part of your reputation. What do you have to do? You have to pay the debt. Somebody steals something of you emotionally. You have to pay the debt. Someone does something to you physically that that harms you. What do you do? You you pay the debt by forgiving them. You take on their, you might say, punishment because you feel that punishment simply because you've been wronged and that person has never made it right. Right? That's what, when we talk about forgiveness, paying a debt for them that they could not pay. Now, why would you want to do that? Let them suffer. Now, why would you want to forgive? Well, we look at the parable that Jesus teaches, and we ask the question, why should we forgive? Well, first of all, I want you to notice in verse 23, it's the very nature of God. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Who wished to settle the accounts with his servants? When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, there's a lot of speculation of what this really means. It could be 10,000 talents, you know, talents a year's wage. So 10,000 years worth of wages. And somebody says, multiply that and then you add for inflation, it's billions of dollars. I don't know about that. All I know is this was an insurmountable amount. When the hearers heard 10,000 talents, they they just kind of back a little bit and say, what do you mean 10,000? Nobody can pay 10,000 talents. It's like for us saying infinity. And so there's a debt here that this man who was trusted under the king, who evidently had squandered, and again, this is a story. It's not a true story. It's never meant to be. It's a parable. It's an illustration. But the idea is this man was a trusted man. He was put in charge of a lot of stuff, and he misused the money somehow. Maybe he stole it. Maybe he just made some bad investments trying to make some money on the top for himself, which was common back then. But he lost a lot of money, and he, had to, he owed a lot. Then it says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, children, all that he had, payment for the debt. This is common. This is why you had so many Roman slaves. When you couldn't pay your debt, you were sold into slavery, and you paid off the debt, and that's how many years you worked for free. And so the man said, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, you know and I know when you get desperate, you'll say anything. There's no way he could pay all this debt. But he was making all kinds of promises, and out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. We forgive because this is the character. This is the very nature of God. We're never more like God than when we forgive. Even the Old Testament. In fact, all we had was the Old Testament. We would know that God's forgiven. forgiven. He forgave Adam. He forgave King David. He forgave Abraham. He forgave everybody in the Old Testament. Psalm 130, David said this, If you, O Lord, Should mark iniquities or sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There's a story in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, where it talks about a prodigal son. There are two brothers. The younger one says, Dad, give me my estate right now. He takes one-third of it as a requirement of law. Gave him one-third of the estate, even though he was not supposed to give it to him until he died but he gave it to him in advance. The Bible says he went off and squandered. That's the word they use. He wasted all of his inheritance on riotous living. In fact, he found himself in the hog pen wanting to eat the husks that the, the hogs were being fed, but he couldn't because that belonged to the hogs. He would get in trouble. He would get fired even if he ate the husks. And so he thought to himself, man, well, you know, my, my dad has all kinds of hired servants. Why shouldn't I just go home and be one of his hired servants? So he goes back home, and the Bible pictures God, the father, maybe on the porch somewhere, and as soon as he sees the son coming, the Bible says he runs after him and forgives him of everything, never mentions anything about his sin, never mentions anything about the embarrassment and how much he hurt the family. You're for, he didn't even say you're forgiven. He acted in the sense of forgiving. Kill the fatted calf. Bring the the credit card, the signet ring, and give it back to my son. Bring him all these things. My son was lost, and now he's found. It's a picture of God, and in that picture is the only picture in the Bible where God is seen running. He runs to his son. He was looking for him, and he ran to him. The whole Bible is filled with the nature of God being forgiveness, just like he sent Jesus to the cross for the purpose, so you can be forgiven of all your sin. And so it's the purpose of the character of God. But then, and this is the real center of the passage, we need to forgive others because Jesus Christ forgave us. Then we look in verse 27. He took pity. The master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, uh, a denarii was a day's wage, and so a hundred days' wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Hey, does, does this sound familiar? Wow, it just seemed like I just read that. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. We can find that God has forgiven us how did he do that? Well, at the end of this Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will die on the cross. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus paid our debt for us, our indebtedness of sin. He took the payment for that on his body. It cost him. And so he took on our debt, died on the cross. And now when we come to him and ask him to forgive us and ask us ask him to come into our life, he does so and forgives us of everything that we've ever done. He's forgiven us a lot of stuff. Now, James Kennedy has, um, from used to be in Fort Lauderdale, I believe. Now he's passed away. But James Kennedy would often give in his book um, the three sins a day uh, illustration. He says, suppose you only sin three sins a day. Well, that's 365 days in a year. Then multiply by 70, you live to be 70 years old. You know, it's 70,000 sins that you've committed. But let's be real. We're not talk, probably talking about three sins a day. We're probably talking about three sins an hour, right? I mean, more realistically. You know, that would be about 1.5 million times that we've sinned. Now, in all of that, even in our blind spots, we have to admit we probably offended someone somewhere along the way. Maybe we didn't know it. Or maybe we did, but we justified it in some way. But nevertheless, we offended them. We've sinned all this many times, and yet Ephesians 1 tells us, Paul says, in him we have, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Christ has forgiven us of the greater debt. Now, here's a man that comes along, and he thinks to himself, I'm going to, look, I-, I was embarrassed, I was fearful, I thought I was going to be thrown into slavery, and he shook, he's shaken up. Again, this is a fictitious story. And so we can just imagine, though, what some people go through when they don't forgive. They, they're fearful. Wow, you know, if it wasn't for this guy owing me a hundred denarii, I wouldn't have been in that spot. It, you know, all these people that still owe me money, I've got to go and get that. And so he tries to go and get... Now, this guy's forgiving him. He doesn't have to pay back the money. He doesn't have to go back and get a hundred denarii from this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy until he can finally pay him back. He says, you're forgiven. Don't worry about it. It's got done. I've paid the debt. No need to pay it twice. But he goes back and he becomes angry, becomes self-righteous in a sense of not forgiving someone for a little something. Now, here's Jesus dying on the cross. Not only have we offended him in great ways. I mean, we just have. I mean, how many times, how many times have have we thought thoughts we shouldn't have thought? As a matter of fact, if everybody in this room knew all of our thoughts... You know, we'd have a hard time getting respect from anybody. And then on top of that, have you, have you ever used God's name in vain? Man, cursing God. You've become so angry with God, so so resentful with, with God. And how many times have we sinned against Him and sinned against our neighbor? Yet Jesus died on the cross for all those sins, but yet someone says something about us, maybe, I don't know, maybe on Facebook. I'll never forgive them. Somebody. Laughs at you and messes up your reputation, maybe at high school in high school. Man, I'll never forgive them. Or something more serious. How can you forgive someone who has done you so wrong physically? How can you forgive someone for leaving you? How can you forgive somebody who just swipes the business right out from under you? How can you do all that when God says, "Look, this is a reason why you want to do it. You should do it." Because Christ has already forgiven you for something so much more. But then there's a third reason. You need to forgive. Somebody, somebody has told me before, yeah, but I won't forgive them, and they, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, do it for yourself. Notice what it says here in, verse, in the following verses. He refused, and he put him in prison. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw that it had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you of all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. He couldn't pay it, of course, in jail because he couldn't make any money. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And that's pretty tough stuff, and that's from the mouth of Jesus. What's he saying here? He says, I'm going to give you over to the torturers. Now, notice again, please, this passage, the entire chapter, is not about the lost and the saved. Could be, but it's not. It's about that wayward sheep, that one that is gone, and you, you bring the one back in. It's about going to your brother and reconciling your brother, So, what is this talking about? It's not talking about going to hell. It's talking about a mental and emotional torture right here on earth. New American Standard mentions the word instead of jailer, which really is a good word for it, goes further and says it's a torture. It's a word, it's a Greek word meaning to jail someone, imprison someone in torture. What's it talking about? It's talking about inner turmoil. When you and I fail to forgive, Anger begins to stir within our heart and within our mind. And it turns in <clears throat> to bitterness. Now, I don't know how many times I've <clears throat> any time I've ever said, excuse me, to somebody, well, you know, you really need to get over this bitterness. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. Now they just ranted to me for an hour about someone, but they're not bitter. Something that happened 10 years ago, but they're not bitter. It's hard to to admit that we are. But here's what the Bible says. See to it that no one fails you, says the writer of Hebrews, "to, to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now here's the picture. There's someone that's angry, that's seething anger. It's just not dealt with. It's just over and over and over. And it's a bitterness within the heart. And you can tell it in their personality. Then they affect their kids and they affect their wife and their, or their husband. They affect maybe their parents, their neighbors don't want to really talk to them much anymore. It's just, there's just an aura about them of bitterness. And it defiles many, 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 many relationships. A bitter heart. Now I know... Again, that we don't feel that. But let me ask you this somebody says, I'll never be like my dad. You know, my dad made me go to church, do all kinds of awful things, brush my teeth, take a bath. I hate my dad. I'll never be like my dad. Guess what? Your dad controls you because you're always comparing yourself to anytime you compare yourself to anyone else, good or bad they are in control of much of your life. S.I. McMillan said this in his book, None of These Diseases. The man I hate may be many miles from my bedroom. More cruel than any slave driver, he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes torture. The lowliest of serfs can sleep, but I cannot I really must acknowledge the fact that I'm a slave to every man upon whom I pour the vial of my wrath. We become slaves to it. Tortures. Turn them over to the tortures. And God's hand is drawn back. And the tortures, if you want to say demonic forces, however you want to put it, begin to pull on that bitterness. I know you make you more bitter. Now, one of my guest professors in my doctorate, Theodore Baldick, uh, psychologist, said this. Whether you agree with him or not, I don't agree with him totally on percentages probably, but I'm not a psychologist. All I'm saying is this. He said 90% of, of depression is spiritual. Now, I know that can be offensive to some of you. I do believe in clinical depression. I think he does too. He is a psychologist. But what, what was he saying? Because I, I raised my hand and I said, what, now, what do you mean by that? Well, here, here's the thing. When we are living our life, especially in our teens and our 20s and our 30s, we we never realize, we we never really go into the kind of depression we do later in life. And the reason is this. We are, if you're an angry person and, and you just stay angry all the time, what you're doing is spinning up your emotions. Your emotions are spinning and spinning and spinning. Even when you're not saying anything, even when you're suppressing that bitterness in your life, And you know this because some of you perhaps have been angry, not all the time, but maybe you can remember one time you were so angry and you just blew your top and maybe you threw things around in the house or threw your golf clubs into the lake, you know, or something. Well, how did you feel when that was over? You felt totally exhausted. What about you that maybe said, I've I've just cried myself to sleep. I just cried till I could not cry anymore. How did you feel about that? How did you feel physically? so drained, so tired. Your emotions can deplete you. And when you're in your 20s, maybe early 30s, you can replenish that because it's just like physical. You know, I I don't know, I'm getting a little bit older, and and man, it takes me longer to recover. You know, I go out and play golf, it takes me the rest of the day to recover, and sometimes five or six days. And then I get out there again, you know. But... It takes me longer to recover physically. It takes us longer to recover emotionally as well. And so what happens, your emotions are always running with this bitterness, 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 and you don't even, you don't even realize it. Everybody realizes it but you. But your emotions get so deplenished and you can't replenish it. You just, you, you're just getting older and you just can't catch up. And you wake up one day and you think, I just can't get out of bed. That's what he's talking about. It starts off with the spiritual, doesn't necessarily end up that way. And so, you and I need to forgive. If for no what you say, I'm not going to forgive. They don't deserve forgiveness. I'm saying you deserve to forgive them. You've got to do that, or else it's going to hurt you. And so the question comes up: How do I do it? I think most of us know we need to, but how do you do it? Well, it's only by the grace of God. I mean, we know that, but there's three things that I want you to notice in this passage that I think are very important for God to use that grace in our life. I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to close. Number one, pity the offender. Look with me in verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released and forgave him the debt. How did he do it? Why did he do it? Pity. What does this mean? It means it means compassion. It means to have a heart that goes out to someone. It means to empathize. It means there's a deliberate internal work of empathizing with the person who's offended you. I think I told a story a few months ago, reminded you the story of uh, Stephen Covey, and in his book, um, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, he tells a story about being on a subway and uh, these, these kids are cutting up, and they're kind of ruining the ride for everybody and bothering everybody. It's late in the day. and In fact, it's at night. And the man, the, the dad's just sitting over there like a zombie. And so somebody mentions it to him. Could you, could you control your kids? And he, he kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Now, kids, And he, he rounded them up a little bit. He says, I'm sorry, uh, guys, folks. Uh, we just came from the hospital, and they just lost their mother. Changed everybody's perspective. Instead of being bothered, they were like, how can we help you? I'm so sorry. Some of them even say, hey, let me pray for you. I like to pray, you know. Your heart goes out to them. And so, what is it? Now, it's human nature for us not to do that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to see the person's side of the story. We want to feel like they're feeling. In fact, it's human nature to want to blame them for everything. You know, somebody says, well, you know, they just lied to me. They lied to me. They're a liar. That's what they are. They're a liar. Well, have you ever lied before? Well, yeah. Well, why'd you lie? Uh, well, you know, it's complicated. You know, you're complicated. And they're a liar. You see, I've, um, I've talked with um, many people before, and I'm telling you, so far, just so far, it's, it hasn't worked. this. Way. It just hasn't worked out for me. But I hear them. And I've talked to people, and maybe they'll they'll complain, and I don't use the word, I'm not using the word rant, uh, maybe uh, vent. They'll vent, and they need to, by the way. If you're listening to somebody, one of your friends, they need to vent. Somebody did something to them, and they're venting about it, and they're talking about it, they probably need to do some of that. But at some point, you get to the end of that, and you say, now, let's try to fix the problem. You don't tell them that, but let's try to fix this. You need to forgive them. And so maybe they were thinking this when they said that. No, that's just an excuse. Well, maybe they were going through something like this. I heard that this guy was going through. Are you on their side? You're on, Pastor, you're on their side. No, I'm not on their side. But until, there's no way that you're going to forgive this person without compassion, without pitying them, without putting yourself somewhere, somehow, in their shoes. In the video, I don't know what was going on with this killer's mind, and I don't know if you can ever pity that guy enough, but maybe it could have been this man. It could have been this man who's growing up in in a bad situation, and this man that's hooked on drugs and he needs drug money, and those are just excuses. Yeah, but it helps you to understand a little bit more of what's going on. And it's just like the man on the video said, are we not Christians? Are we not believers? The Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything ought to revolve around that. But the second one, the second great commandment, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first thing you've got to do, you've got to pity. You've got to have empathy. But then secondly, and I come back to this from earlier in the message, you've got to pay the debt. There's no other way around it. Even if they ask forgiveness... You've got to pay the debt. The king absorbed the debt, maybe billions. Nothing's free. Jesus gave, gives us a free gift, but it's a gift. He paid for it. Your sins and my sins just don't evaporate it. They're paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is realized when you no longer think about the, when you think about the person, you don't no longer think about their offense or their sin. You think about them. Rather, forgiven, and a person in need of forgiveness. Colossians tell us, bearing one another's burdens, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now here, it means the act is before the feeling. It has to be because God commands it. And you say, well, you may not have to forgive them and trust them all over again. No, I'm not saying that at all. Bible doesn't teach that. Now, I don't think until you learn to trust that person again, grace is complete. But it has to be completed in their life, not just your life, to trust them again. You see, forgiveness is based upon the character of God. Trust is built on their character. So I'm not saying if, if, if someone molested you when you were growing up, you don't take your, your kids to them and be around them. You don't trust them again. Particularly if, not, if, if someone's done something to you and have not, has not asked your forgiveness, has not repented. My friend, if they, don't, if they don't repent, they don't realize they've done anything wrong. They're going to do it again. Or the chances are they could do it again without repentance. And so, no, we, we're, I'm not saying you, you just simply trust them all over again. And doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be reconciled to them. Some people think that that's what forgiveness is all about. And they go to that person that's offended them and say, I want you to know, I forgive you. I forgive you. Why would you do that? Why would a person do that? Well, that person has not asked your forgiveness. And chances are, when you go to them and say, I forgive you, they're going to look at you and say, For what? For what? What did I do to you? Now that can be especially hurtful if they've done something to you really bad. But it's always going to be hurtful whether they do it do something bad or just something light. If it offended you, you go to them and say, "I want you to know I'm I'm a big person here. I've forgiven you." What you're really asking them to do is to admit they're wrong. That's why you're going there. You're not going to let them off the hook. You're going to let yourself off the hook by allowing them an opportunity to say, you're right, I have offended you. Will you forgive me? Thank you so much for forgiving me. And if you've come away from that situation less than that, you're going to be more hurt than you were before. So what do you do? You just forgive them. If they haven't asked, you don't go back to them and say, I I forgive you. That's going to open up a can of worms that you don't want to be open because you want to get over your bitterness. You just forgive them. It's between you and God. Now, if they ever come to you and say, Look, I know I did this to you, and would you forgive me? You can always say, Hey, you know, I've already forgiven you. Just like Christ has forgiven me. Christ did a work in my life, and therefore I've done a work in our relationship as well. I've already forgiven you. You don't go to them, you just simply forgive. You pay the debt of your reputation. It could be money, it could be a job. It could be some conflict in the office, something at school, something you've been gossiped about at school. You forgive them. But then thirdly, thirdly, listen to me very carefully. Don't miss this. You pay the debt again and again and again until the debt's been paid. See, sometimes it says here, 70 times 7, that could be for a multitude of sins, but it could be the same one. There's, there's been times I've forgiven somebody, and, and what'll happen, what'll happen, it'll come up the next day, I have to forgive them again. Come up the next day, I forgive them again. Then a week later, well, it's a little bit more spread out now. Now, a week later, something come, the devil brings it to my memory again, and I forgive him again. A month later, and pretty soon, it's so spread out, one day you just think to yourself, I, I you know... In fact, I kind of miss that person because I've I've totally forgiven them. You forgive again and again and again because it's going to take, probably if it's deep, it's going to take more than one time. And the deeper it is, the more it's going to take. But you need to do it because it's the character of God. You're never more like God than when you forgive. You need to do it. You You need to pay the debt. Why? Because look what Jesus has done for you. What you're saying is you, you kind of deserve all that. But this person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. You deserve God's, but this person doesn't deserve yours. And then thirdly, you need to do it for you. To set yourself out of the jail, out of the torture. Many of you perhaps do not remember, but you've heard of Watergate. Richard Nixon was... Um, had to resign as president of the United States in, um, in shame, humiliation. Two of his workers that went through all that with him, John Ehrlichman and Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, through it all, became a believer. In fact, he started prison fellowship because of what he went through. Wrote a lot of books, Kingdom and Conflicts, other books like that. Just a great writer before he died. One of the great uh, writers, I think, of, uh, of the end of the 20th century. In Christian circles, but a born again believer, John Ehrlichman was not a believer at all. In fact, John Ehrlichman really wrote a lot of articles against Chuck Colson, called him to task over so many things that he was doing with prison fellowship, harassing. He heard that John Ehrlichman was on his deathbed, he was in a nursing home, and he was dying alone. His third wife had left him, his children were estranged from him and he was by himself. Chuck Colson went to him. He didn't say, John, I forgive you. No. He put his arms around him and said, John, I love you. And he shared Jesus with him. And he came very close to receiving Christ. But he said, I'll hear you another time. A couple months later, he was about ready to go and he called for Chuck Colson. Just so happened Chuck Colson, I think he was in the hospital himself, he sent someone else, one of his uh, trusted men that was a man of God. He, he led John Ehrlichman to the Lord. You see, it's not only our forgiveness toward others that will release us, it might release them. In times, it could be the catalyst to reaching someone for Jesus. A friend of mine who has been pastoring for years in Atlanta, James Merritt, wrote this at the end of one of his messages. He said, and I pray this will be our prayer. This is his prayer. So let's listen to it. Oh God, give me a heart of forgiveness so that I may commune with you in the fullness of fellowship and joy and not experience the chastening that comes when you don't forgive me because I won't forgive a brother or sister in Christ. May I remember that for everyone who sins against me, I have sinned multiplied times against you. And you have always forgiven me. At no time has any of my sin caused me to forfeit my eternal life. Therefore, no one else's sin should cause them to forfeit my love and mercy toward them. Amen. Could that be your prayer today? Could that be your prayer? Oh God, help me. Help me to see it. Help me to have that defining moment where I'm... I'm going to forgive because you've forgiven me. Because that's who you are. And because, God, I need it so bad. I need, to it. I need to release it. I don't need to be this tortured on the inside. Even when most of the time I don't even realize I'm being tortured. But I'm, I'm, I'm in jail. God, could you help me be this kind of person with this kind of heart? Let's bow our heads for prayer. This morning... I often, at the end of the message, give someone or people a chance to receive Christ because I realize that in a room with this many people and others watching and listening other places, within the sound of my voice, there are people that are saying, yeah, but I've never received Christ. I've never received that forgiveness from Him. And I'm weighted down with this other stuff. And I, I, I can't forgive everybody else because I'm, I'm not forgiven. Would you like to be forgiven? Would you like to walk out of this room today knowing that you've been forgiven of every sin, everything that you've ever done? A clean slate. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you'll come to the cross and trust him to save you based on his sacrifice, he will come into your life and make the difference. Would you pray this prayer with me now? You can do so silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. That I can enjoy forgiveness and God, I need forgiveness. I pray that you would help me to turn from my sin and I give you all the sin to forgive. Everything that I've done wrong, Lord, I pray that you would wipe the slate clean. I pray that you would come into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.